Hi, this is Don Wells. Guess what we're listening to? TV Confidential. Hey now. Hey there. What's going on around here? It must be a missile. It's scary. What is that mysterious noises? Look over here, fella. Fella. Over where? Here, in the middle of the swimming pool on the rubber raft. Well, I'll be at Tinkerbell. How are you, sir? I mean, who are you, sir? But where'd you come from, sir? Oh, never mind that now, fella. I have some very important work for you to do. Well, sir, I'd like to help you out very much, but you see, my stepmother and my stepbrother keep me pretty busy, especially this week. Greg Airbart is with us for another look at recently released DVD and streaming titles that we think you'll find of interest. Greg covers music, film, and television releases for CartoonResearch.com, AnimationScoop.com, LeonardMalton.com, Greg Airbar.com. What do you have for us tonight, Greg? All I have to do is say two words, and then we'll know who we're talking about. Hey, lady! Very good. <laughs> now, he, he claimed he never did that, but and, and he could be right, but I remember watching The Stooge, and there's a scene that sort of duplicates Dean and Jerry's act, where Dean is on stage, and Jerry's in the audience. He's actually in the balcony, and he's falling down out of the balcony, and he seems to be saying, hey, lady, so I don't know. But th- he was there, but it seemed like he was saying, hey, lady, there. But uh, there's an awful lot of those those phrases comedians and famous people are known for that they never really said, but nevertheless. Well, he would, I mean, look, look, even if he didn't actually said, hey, lady, but he, what, I mean, in fact, I was just, the other night I was binge-watching Buffalo Bill. Uh, with Dabney Coleman, and one of the episodes they did in the second season was a show called Jerry Lewis Week, where the station that carries the Buffalo Bill show is doing a week-long tribute to Jerry Lewis uh, as part of their afternoon movie, and they have a Jerry Lewis look-alike contest, and for some inexplicable reason, they let all these Jerry Lewis impersonators run rampant all over the studio and, and, and all over the office, and one of whom, by the way, is played by an, an, a then-unknown Jim Carrey, and almost all of them go into that high, manic screech where they're, they're capturing the essence of Jerry Lewisness. So if he didn't actually say, hey, lady, he said things like that with that wow, wacky inflection all the time. Yeah, there's an episode, I can't remember the actual phrase, it's like of the Animaniacs where they basically create mayhem for this character that's very much Jerry Lewis-like, and it's like Fernleven or something like that, that they say all the way through it that's supposed to be his catchphrase. So at least they didn't go for the hey lady, but I think it could be have been created because it just makes use, perfect use phonetically of the way he spoke. So maybe someone sat down and agonized over the perfect words. I don't know. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, Lewis is uh, a man whose body of work transcends uh, not only film and television, but, but many forms of television. I mean, he came, I mean, for, for many, the first generation of television watchers, he exploded into stardom as a result of the Colgate Comedy Hour, which, of course, not only introduced him, but introduced audiences to Martin and Lewis, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. And it was basically an extension of their 
nightclub act at the time. And from the Colgate Comedy Hour, they did all the movies they did for Paramount, I believe, if, if I remember correctly. And, yeah. Uh, and even though Martin and Lewis went their separate ways around 55, 56, Jerry Lewis made his presence known in many aspects of film and television, not only in front of the camera, but behind the scenes. Very much. I think part of his appeal to children, because it was so juvenile, was a large part of television. Because if you look at the phases of his career, with Dean and Jerry, it was nightclubs, then it was radio, and it was the last legs of radio. It was probably the last real vestiges of successful radio, because radio was all but dying in the 50s because of television. So to have a smash radio show, and it wasn't very long. Their radio show wasn't, and if you listen to them, and they're very accessible, it's interesting to hear them as young, rising comedians who are so excited and hopeful. And they say their names over and over, like, I'll tell you something, Dean Martin. I'll tell you, Dean Martin. Well, listen to me, Dean Martin. I mean, they say their names over and over to sort of market themselves. Yeah, branding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. So they're brand new, and they're wide-eyed and hopeful. And then they started going into movies, and their first movie was My Friend Irma, which was based on a very popular radio sitcom. Mm -hmm. They weren't even the stars. They became stars from that. And then there was a sequel to that, My Friend Irma Goes West. And then they started doing their own movies and became movie sensations in the 50s and in the Colgate Comedy Hour. But in the 60s, when they split, Dean Martin became this ultra-sophisticate doing sort of romantic comedies, war movies. He became the sophisticate grown-up kind of appeal. But Jerry Lewis, for the most part, was doing... Cartoons And very wisely, Frank Tashlin was uh, the director before him. And Frank Tashlin was a Warner Brothers animator. So if you look at most of his films, Cinderfella, who's minding the store, uh, which is a cartoon, basically, what was happening on screen, just like Walt Disney's early live-action movies, The Shaggy Dog, The Absent Minor Professor, there are cartoon gags which Frank Tashlin was a master at. And Frank Tashlin, by the way, was married to Mary Costa, who was the voice of Sleeping Beauty, the opera star. He was learning from Frank Tashlin how to do that. So suddenly he's transitioning into these cartoony kind of movies and then directing on his own and then becoming an auteur. And so his career went into phases. But those movies started showing on TV, and I think that's where he hit that sweet spot, where suddenly his movies were on in prime time, his movies were on during the day, and on Sunday mornings and Saturday afternoons, and then in matinees. And then I don't know if you remember the Jerry Lewis cinemas in the late 60s. Yes, 70s. Um, a chain of theaters that uh, Lewis started uh, that uh, continued for about 20 years, as I recall. Well, his intent, I, I seem to recall, his intent was that, you know, the movies, they're becoming too uh, vulgar. That's, that's my, that's my that's serious a, that, that's a good Jerry. That's a good Jerry, Greg. We, we knew that uh, as the man-child, <laughs> as the nine-year-old, I was uh, concerned that the movies as vulgarities, but not the love, uh, 
he 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 was making these. The intention was that they were going to be G-rated, wholesome family films, and I think this was the first vestige of him sort of. And this was happening to a lot of performers in the late '60s. There was the chasm between the the old guard and the counterculture that was starting to affect the mainstream. And he wanted all G-rated movies. And I remember going to his theater and seeing Hello Dolly after it had bombed. And I saw it at a matinee, and it was, you know, a scratchy print. It was sort of like it had already failed, and this was after the roadshow, and this was sort of like the dollar version of Hello Dolly. So there were not many movies left after a while to show at Jerry Lewis Cinemas because movies were changing. So he was struggling, just like a lot of people were, making sense of what Hollywood was becoming. And he grew further and further away from that. So the Jerry Lewis we knew was still on TV. Lucille Ball was the same way. The, the Lucy that we knew, we were still seeing in black and white, and she was moving into her series, but it was the older Lucy still being the younger Lucy. A lot of performers were doing that. And so... It's not that it's necessarily an excuse for what he later became, but it was kind of an insulation for those performers who did live long enough to live through all of the dramatic changes, which became more and more rapid with each successive decade. The ones that further, further drew themselves in and, and retreated from the change, as opposed to the Betty Whites and the performers that embraced and, and saw them as opportunities, the ones who retreated and stayed insulated, and that it had adverse effects. And I think that's kind of what happened there. And so you had that Jerry that was withdrawn, and you almost yearned. It was kind of like Woody Allen in a way. You kind of yearned for the other Jerry that didn't always surface. You wanted him to be silly and occasionally he would be. He wanted the funny guy, and occasionally he'd be funny, but then he'd be the serious one. And he, he would try to do a funny movie, but it would be a small independent. And when he really shone was when he would do a straight-out drama because he was phenomenal in The King of Comedy. In The King of Comedy, and if I recall correctly well within four or five years of king of comedy he did a five episode arc on wise guy wise guy yeah you know that's the first time we watched wise guy because we thought well this this will be interesting and he was really really good and it it brings to mind like well you know that's maybe that's where he's going because he was really good at that and then he went to broadway and apparently did fairly well with that that was a poppin Elsa Poppin and then Damn Yankees. Yeah. And and he was he was working on getting Nutty Professor to Broadway. And I, I can actually give you some personal anecdotes about that. You can now purchase T-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash 
TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.